In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. The idea behind radical mentoring, I'm nowhere near perfect, but I'm real. And the number one thing in these groups, and, and I think the number one thing in any mentoring concept, not just transparency, but vulnerability. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and as you heard with the perfectly synchronized voice of Dale Cover, our co-host and my good friend. How you doing, man? I'm doing really good. Hey, I, I'm really excited about our guest today because he leads an organization that has worked with 330 churches and has mentored, so mentored, twelve over 12,000 men. And today is a unique podcast. We're actually, this man is the president of a certain organization, and we're going to eulogize the founder of the organization who actually died about two weeks ago. And uh, we want to talk about him and eulogize him. And, and the man that I'm talking about is a guy named Reggie Campbell. And guys, you might remember back to episode 293. Uh, it launched on November 7th of 2019. And we interviewed Reggie about his book, What Radical Husbands Do. So we're going to talk about Reggie, his life, and we're going to talk about radical mentoring the organization. And uh, we're with Kevin Harris today, the president of that organization. But before we get into that interview, would we have a man word for the day? We do. You going to try? I'm going to go with uh, mentor. Which we've done that before. I'm going to go... Probably when we... I I'm going to go with protege. Uh-huh. Well, it's very close to that. I mm -hmm. actually... I, I was on their website checking this out. Ah. And I, I planned this way in advance. Studied up. Good for you, man. And this one is mentee. I, oh, so, Seriously. So, so protege and mentee, wow. come on. It's a different word. It's really, okay, 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 and, I'll give it to and you. And I didn't see protege <laughs> on their website, but I did say see mentee in some of their steps that they have. And uh, I feel I, like I'm watching a really bad marriage right now. This is no, a really just, bad wait, marriage. This is how marriages get stronger. We talk. So what's the difference <laughs> between a mentee and a protege? Yeah. Well, I think they're the same. Okay, okay that's But I, I wanted say. to use the word mentee. This is where you say, you win, honey. <laughs> you may be right. You're right, honey. I'm wrong. <laughs> so explain the word. Explain well, it. Well, uh, as being a guy who leads a small group of men, mm -hmm. and I'm also, I am being led by other guys, I think it's so important that we allow ourselves to be a mentee to somebody if we're going to get better. Yeah, it's, absolutely. We need to uh, have somebody help advise us and counsel us, and um, train us. And, I, you know, when you deal with your kids, I, mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes with my kids, I get so frustrated. I'm like, if you would just allow me to teach you, you could grow and succeed. Yeah, for sure. And so there's that battle. But, but as an adult, I don't think you grow out of that. It's t You still need somebody to come alongside you and help you, and you should be a mentee. Oh, we just talked to uh, Tom Cheshire and Tom Gensler last week about their book. And their organization, RPM, Radical, uh, Radical, no, Relevant Practical Ministries for Men, and uh, they talk about being fat, faithful, right. available, and teachable. I just asked two ladies in my church. They are twenty-five years older than me, twenty years older than me. They're my mother's age. I've asked them to be my godmothers because not I'm realizing, man, I not only do I need eyes to see that are males' eyes, but I need 
I need some key, mature, maternal figures in my life to look out for me as well. So I think you can always be a mentee or a protege to somebody, or at least uh, allow them to teach you and watch your back. So, hey, I'm excited today about our guest, Kevin Harris. Uh, Kevin is 45 years old, lives in Atlanta, Georgia, with his beautiful wife of 20 years, Susan. Uh, in 2002, Kevin was invited to join mentoring group led by our, the founder of Radical Mentoring, Reggie Campbell. And he's also in the process of mentoring his fourth group of men. As the president of Radical Mentoring, his primary role is to connect with independent mentors and church leaders who are passionate about creating culture of disciple-making and to assist them in launching a mentor movement that will shape families and communities and churches around the world. So I'm excited about this. Kevin, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here to follow in uh, Reggie's footsteps. Yeah, your organization just kind of hit me out of nowhere about two months ago. I'd never heard of it, and I read Reggie's book, What Radical Husbands Do, and honestly, it's one of the best books on marriage I've ever read, and it was so short and sweet, 120 pages, uh, just blew me away, and and as I've I've heard about Reggie's life and his recent passing, I've just been really intrigued and really want to eulogize his life. And no greater honor than to, to do that. And because I don't know the man, I thought I'd bring a guy on who knew him very well, which is you. And so before we do that, why don't you take a few minutes and tell our listeners your personal story? Yeah, so um, born, in, uh, born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, raised in North Carolina, moved there at an early age, um, kind of tried and true background, um, church family. We were attenders. We were regular attenders, if you will, but weren't, we weren't all in. Um, met Jesus on a mission trip as a ninth grader. And I think um, I would describe it probably similar to how Reggie has described it. He entered my head, didn't enter my heart and um, had, had just a very normal childhood until about the 11th grade when the phone rang and my dad had uh, passed away in a oh. car accident. Oh, God. He was on the way home. It was about 30 minutes away from our house. And uh, he left to go interview for a job and was on his way back and didn't pull back in the driveway. And so at that moment, my life shifted big time. And I really began to develop what I would call two personalities. I had my church personality and I had my other personality. And my other personality was full of bad decisions and um, masks and cover-ups and anything I could do to sort of numb some of the pain. And my church family was where I would go to make sure that uh, I, I knew in my heart what the right thing to do was. But if my church family caught me with the other group, I would say, well, you know, my dad died and um, just trying to kind of navigate all that. And if the other group knew I was attending church, I'd say, well, you know, my dad died. and I'm just trying to figure this all out. And so I began to live this this dual life in many ways. Um, I went to school at Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina, surrounded myself with a group of really great Christian guys who uh, didn't let me go. Just kept hanging on to me and hanging on to me and hanging on to me and um not necessarily changing my, my dual life, but um, certainly just stayed really grounded and, and always knew knew where my heart needed to be, but um, was was struggling with the process of, of how to get there. And so fast forward a little bit, married, moved to Atlanta. I'm a 27-year-old business guy. I get an email from a friend of mine that says, do you, do you want to do this mentoring group? And I had no idea what it was, who it was. And uh, I said, sure. And so the next thing I know, I get an email from a guy named Reggie Campbell asking me to write my obituary oh. and send it back to him. So at that point, you can imagine where my head went. It's like some guy I've never met before wants me to write my obituary. So entered his dining room in uh, probably about this time uh, in 2002. And at that point, I met a man who um, was living a beautiful life of what looked really great on the surface. Um, nice house, beautiful wife, a dog, two kids, just, you know, kind of all American guy. But when I walked in, he got on his knees and prayed uh, in front of a group of uh, seven of us. And we got to see a guy intentionally engage with his heavenly father in a way that I'd never experienced before. Mm. Um, got to hear his story and got to hear the ups and the downs, some of the stuff that you heard in the, in your prior podcast with him about where his marriage went went the wrong direction. And um, 
you know, there was something that happened when I got to be around an authentic man of God. And so I got to see that um, and just had a long-term relationship with him. You know, I stuck with him, whether he wanted me to stick around or not from 2002 on, I stayed with him. And, um, you know, I didn't jump right into ministry with him. I did a, I was in a business world. I was raising money for financial services firms and flying every week and, um, got getting into the rat race of career and money and chasing all the things that you think you're supposed to chase. And I found myself with, with a, a diagnosis of clinical depression. Oh, wow. Um, realizing that I had ground myself uh, to a shell of the man I was supposed to be. My marriage was on the rocks. My relationship with my kids wasn't great. Um, but I had a constant. I had an anchor, and it was Reggie. And he would walk with me through tough times. He would pray with me. He would challenge me. He would confront me on things. Um, and about, gosh, probably now about six years ago, he came to me and said, you know, I really feel like uh, I need to ask you to step into this radical mentoring role with me. And God began to remind me of two things. He began to remind me of a call to ministry that I felt like I had back when I was in my high school days. And he reminded me of a prayer that I prayed ever since I met Reggie, which was uh, that he would he find some business. As you know, he's an entrepreneurial yeah. guy. Mm -hmm. He would need some kind of sales or marketing guy. He would hire me and he would be sort of a, a lifelong mentor. And I didn't really think that would be in radical mentoring, but uh, almost five years later, here we are. So wow, um, that is, uh, that's the story. Wow, that's and I, I I don't know a lot about Reggie except for the podcast. So I'm really excited to hear about his life and what he means to you. And and really, you know, it's ironic that he had you write your own obituary because here we are interviewing you about his. Right. And so, right. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited to do that. But I'm also saddened to see a, a great man leave this planet. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just get right into this thing, and I'm going to throw you into our rapid fire round. And, and I've done something really unique. This is called the Reggie Round. So it's a tribute to Reggie Campbell, and I'm going to ask you five questions about him. And you don't know what those questions are. You've chose to, chosen to wing it, and I hope that doesn't bite you in the behind. So, <laughs> Well, if it does, it bites you too. Right? I don't know. So no, no it's, it's, hey, me. this is fine. But I'm, I'm betting because I just think of you know uh, how long I've been with Dale and we interact and I think if I were to ask these questions, Dale should know it, and I should know some of these about Dale. So here's the first one. This is the toughest one. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. If you can hit this one out of the park, I think you're good to go. What is your favorite Reggie quote? In Atlanta, Georgia, traffic is always an issue, but rarely an excuse. Huh. Explain. Do you want me to unpack, uh -huh. unpack it? Unpack it. Mm -hmm. so, yes. When we do these mentoring groups, one of the things I think that makes us unique is it was always about, you know, Reggie's giving us his time. So we needed to steward that well. And mm -hmm. so it was one of those, you know, be on time, do your work, always prepared. And um, one of the very first quotes he gave us, literally, we show up at his house around his dining room table and he says, OK, you guys write this down. In Atlanta, Georgia, traffic is always an issue and rarely an excuse. Mm -hmm. And and there are 155 guys that have gone through that were mentored directly by Reggie. And they would quote, that would be the quote that every one of them, I think, would say that reminds them of Reggie. Oh, I love it. I love it. So it was second question. Was there a mantra or a phrase that he seemed to use in his mentoring? So did he have a special mantra or phrase? Not really. I mean, I, I think one of the things that shaped him a lot was was a quote by a guy named Tim Elmore that was, more time with fewer people is greater kingdom impact. Oh, wow. And I think that was probably the thing that was not his quote, but was a thing that shaped him as he began to think about how can I leverage my time and invest into more people. That quote from Tim Elmore was one that we always spent a lot of time talking about. Did you guys do anything with Robert E. Coleman's material, Master Plan of Evangelism? We did not. Have you heard of him? I have, yeah. In yeah, fact, he... I was in a meeting where we sang, we called him and sang him, happy, sang happy birthday to him. And that was, I was with Bobby Harrington and some guys and uh, 
we were in Houston, Texas about three years ago and it happened to be his birthday. And so we literally, I, I don't know him, but I did sing happy birthday. That's to too funny. That. Well, every, every training of any kind of higher education I've gone through, I've had to read that book. So uh, I just thought, and it fits well with what you just said, that Jesus mm-hmm. took a few and he built a kingdom movement, a worldwide global, a global movement out of those 12 guys. And so it sounds like Reggie had a very similar philosophy to what, what Robert E. Coleman would have. And, and I'm really interested to hear about that. But what's the third thing I want to ask you? What's the greatest legacy that Reggie left? In other words, is there a defining contribution that, that he left behind that, that there's a gap that the world has because he's, he's missing now? Yeah, I think the legacy is, um, the direct legacy is the 155 guys that yeah. he poured his life into and challenged every one of them and challenged them to both um, consider paying it forward financially. But the one thing he challenged us all with was you've got to lead your own group. Yeah. And I think that's the multiplication that has come out of the, you know, as you mentioned, the almost 12,000 men that have gone through this. Reggie's first group was in 2001, and that was his first group with he had 12 mentees in that group. So you got one guy with 12 mentees around his dining room table to 330 churches and almost 12,000 guys. And I think that's the legacy of, of the multiplication that can happen when you get one person who's willing to lean in and engage a group of six to eight younger guys and then challenge them to pay it forward. It has an incredible multiplication effect. I think that's the legacy, no doubt. Yeah, and I want to ask you more about the actual ministry methods and, and what yeah. you do. But yeah. um, So what's one word that you would use to describe Reggie's life? Intentionality. All right, you want to unpack that? Yeah, he was he was on purpose. He didn't he didn't waste words. He didn't necessarily want to go um, to have a cup of coffee and just hang out. In fact, it was interesting at his um, memorial service this past Saturday. Andy Stanley spoke, and Andy recalled the story when Reggie came and met with him. And Reggie's question to Andy was, "What is the one thing that you do not want me to ask you about while we're together?" Oh, wow. Because everything for Reggie was on purpose. And he just wanted to make sure that he was intentional with the men he was involved and engaged with, intentional with his kids and his grandkids. I've been on trips where he brought one of his grandsons with him to experience kind of a two days in the life of Reggie and what we were doing on the road. And so it just was, it was all about intentionally pointing men towards Jesus, period. Oh, End of powerful. sentence. That's, that's all he cared that's about. That's powerful. I'm curious to hear what Andy answered to that question. <laughs> yeah, he didn't give us the answer. He just told us about the question. <laughs> yeah, he shouldn't give you the answer. That's so. Hey, what's right. the what's right. the last question? Last rapid fire round question. What's the greatest lesson Reggie has taught you personally? It's probably not far off from from intentionality. Would be one um, specifically around my family. Mm-hmm. When he kind of saw me come through the, the rough spot of my depression and begin to re-engage in my family, it was really around how do you intentionally engage with your spouse? How do you listen well? How do you make sure she knows she's number one and the most important person, more important than your kids, but obviously less important than your relationship with Christ. But it was very much about the intentionality because I think he knew in me that I would begin to drift, that I had a natural pull to activity and a natural pulled accomplishments and it was he always wanted to push me back into being really intentional at home. Yeah, and so I your your first your first uh, interaction with Reggie was in 2002 and you shared about your depression, you shared about your marriage, you shared about your family. How has all that changed going back, you know, 7 18 years later? You know, it's interesting. I you know, in 2002 I've been married 2 years and didn't have kids. Oh, wow. So I was by far the youngest guy around that table. Um, but I got to hang out with six other guys who were a little further down the road. And then Reggie, who was a lot further down the road and just begin to glean from them, just some great, powerful insight. And I think one thing I learned with, with Reggie over time, as he walked with me, he didn't really give me necessarily advice. Hmm. Because he would say, if I give you advice and it doesn't work, then you can probably hold me responsible for the advice that I gave you. So he listened well. He coached. Um, he was a huge fan. He was one of my biggest fans. He was behind me all the time. 
But um, even when I went through what I went through, I, I think had he asked me to join him in radical mentoring 10 years ago before I kind of crashed and hit the wall, I wouldn't be nearly as passionate or effective as I am today. If for whatever reason, there was a there was something in him that um, he had said, I wanted to have this conversation with you, but I wasn't didn't feel like the timing was right to ask you to be a part of it. And I think some of that was I needed to learn some really hard lessons that he mm. could maybe see coming. I was, you know, he was a little further down the road. I think he saw that in me and was willing to let me kind of go and hit the bumps a little bit. So you said that he didn't give you advice, but he coached you. In your in your thought, what are what's the difference between coaching and advice giving? Yeah, co- coaching. Um, you know, coaching is somewhat of a you know, it's it's a little bit of it's easy to give advice. I think. I mean, yeah. It's easier to lean in and say, "Hey, do it this way." Um, maybe instructions more of a powerful word. Coaching gives gives you know you give players the flexibility to make a mistake give them the chance to go out and try something and they are always going to drift back to the coach and the coach has got the job to either reinforce or, um, and, and encourage or to, to, you know, bring them down a little bit and be a little negative if that's how the player responds to it. But coaching is a little bit of that art of, you know, letting players have some flexibility and ownership of, of their own performance. Um, and then you've got to figure out the right way to motivate and inspire that player on the back. Yeah. So I think so, that was really the difference. So coaching, you would, so coaching is more backloaded. You look back and you yeah. evaluate where, where advice giving or instruction is more front loaded. Is that what you're saying? I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. That's great. I, I, well yeah. Said. That's really good. I really like that. That's powerful stuff to, to allow, and which really speaks to our parents today, right? Who are bulldozer dads and our helicopter moms who don't ever allow our kids to experience trouble. Reggie would say, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, you've already set the boundaries. You've already set the rules. Let them live it, and then come back and deal with the the consequences yeah. and the circumstances surrounding that potentially poor decision. So, no, right. that's yeah. I really appreciate that. That's very very powerful stuff. So, let's let's move into this a little bit deeper. So, who was Reggie Campbell, and and how did he pass? You just went to his uh, memorial service. Who was Reggie? I have found that when I go to memorial services, there's usually one reoccurring theme throughout the service. And so what was Reggie's? And and would you also share briefly how he passed? Because we had him on our show in November, and I was shocked to to find out he had passed just a a little more than two months after. Yeah, and just so you know, I love the fact that you and others had him on these podcasts that we could capture those conversations for sure. Or at least I literally listened to it early today and I'm like, this is totally Reggie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the way he, you know, he had a lung transplant three years ago. Mm. He, um, he had basically a degenerative lung condition that was a buildup of scar tissue. And so I, I joined radical shortly after that, he moved his way onto number one on the, lung transplant list at Emory. How did, how did the so, scar, how did the scar tissue uh, occur? Was it an injury? Was it a car accident? What was it? No, it was, I think it would be pulmonary. I can't remember the actual name of it, but it was really just this kind of natural buildup. Wow. For whatever reason, it was what he had. Wow. Okay. Um, so he has the lung transplant three years ago. You know, you suppress the immune system, so you're going to be susceptible to other things. Skin cancer is one that's a, a fairly typical. Um, call it now, gosh, seven months ago, he gets diagnosed with what's called Merkel cell carcinoma, which is very rare and very aggressive. Oh, wow. Reggie's son is a, is a skin doctor in Athens, Georgia. So he's, Reggie was in great care. But they've removed the Merkel spot. He goes through his treatment, um, goes on his 50-year wedding anniversary trip, did a did kind of a European cruise with his bride of 50 years, Miriam. They had a great time, comes back from that, has, the, has his post-radiation scan. They find a – Reggie's quote was, my liver looked like a speckled trout. Oh, and so as they're planning on a way to treat the cancer, the lung begins to um, begins to fail. And so it was really, it was less about the cancer. It was more about the failure of the lung. But um, as, as his son wrote in a, in a Caring Bridge post, 
the day that the day that he died, he had a rough morning. But one of the things Reggie kept saying was, it's just crazy to think God loves me this much. It's crazy to think that God cares about me this much. And then they prayed that he would be met by Jesus and Reggie breathed two big breaths and there he was. And so it was really a very peaceful um, passing. I mean, I think Reggie was, I need, I need to send you, he had uh, in his, in his um, office, he wrote 10 commitments that he was going to make for the last few days of his life. And so even at the very end of his life, he was still on purpose and just had this list of things that he, that he cared about, which was all totally, you know, I'm going to pour into the, the people that God gave me. I'm going to bless my family. I'm going to let people love me. It was just, you know, it was just very classic Reggie. You know, it, in fact, one of the things they said at his, at his uh, memorial services, he had a list of ways to die well. Most people have, you know, I'm going to live this thing out. And Reggie had, when I go, this is how I'm going to go. And so it was very much, um, I think it was, he, he did not, he gave, he would have given him a really good textbook and guidebook on how do you, how do you leave your legacy and, and leave everything planned really well for the people around you. How did he work that, work through that with Miriam? You know, he had to have worked yeah, we, through that with her on their 50th anniversary trip. I mean, that poor woman. How did he work through that with her? Yeah, you know, I think um, he would say that to some degree after he got the treatment before they went on the trip, I don't think they expect, obviously, they never expect the diagnosis. But I think in his mind, he had thought there was more time. Uh-huh. But they had a beautiful last few, I mean, last several months together. He disengaged from a lot of the day-to-day with us. He had been disengaged, was fully invested at home. He blessed her. He blessed his children. He blessed his grandchildren. Um, and I just think she got to see him end really, really well. And she said, you know, of those 10 commitments um, that he made, he could have, every one of those boxes was checked. I mean, she spoke at the memorial service, which tells you something about the way that he had prepared her, that he, um, mm. he really filled her up and she powerfully shared just sort of what those last days were like for her and, and the family and it, that she felt loved and cared for. And he left, uh, he just, he just left his mark on her and on the kids. And, and I think that was the thing that carried him through. It reminds me of a quote Matthew Henry, a theologian from many days back, once said, it ought to be the business of a man every day to live like his final day. And, no doubt. And when I yeah. think of that, and I think of what you're saying about Reggie, it seems like Reggie did that. What would If we had an opportunity to have Reggie here today, what would he say to our men in the arena, those guys that are uh, 25 to 55, kids in the home, driving back and from work, back to and from work, what would Reggie say today to those guys about the final day? He would say, get off your butt <laughs> and invest. Invest wisely in the people that are around you. Invest in your words. Invest in your presence with them. Um, avoid, you know, the the world is going to call you to run really hard on the, on the treadmill of a hamster wheel. And you might do that. And you will end up in the exact same place you started. So God has do, done a miraculous work in you. Take what he poured in your cup and pour it out into other people. And well, let that be the legacy you live. And I think, you know, as I think about this podcast, I think the title of this would be uh, really appropriately called dying. Well, you know, we don't think <laughs> about that. We tend to, even as Christian guys, right? We don't think about, I'm going to die. In fact, I'm dying now. My hair has died. Right. It's gone. Yours is dying. You know, we're dying. That's, that's unkind. Yeah. <laughs> that was unkind. Come on. Look at me. <laughs> anyway, um, sorry about that, man. You know, it's just, it's just part of the program for us, right? We're dying. And so it, we need to address the issue of our death. I, I think writing an obituary, I wrote an obituary at 32 years old, and it has been a compass. What, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's your purpose statement. I mean, really, it's just giving you a chance to reflect on the priorities that that matter. You know, I wrote mine at twenty five, and it was probably 
I, you know, it may, obviously things have changed when you've been married a couple of years with no kids. But at the end of the day, when you write your obituary, it's a vision and a purpose statement for your life. And I think that those are just, as you said, those are the anchor statements that um, you want to hold on to. You made a great comment there that your obituary is an anchor and a compass for your life. It really is. It gives you a vision for what is out there. I think every man should take time and write. My obituary is about 500 words. It's a full page. It doesn't have to be that extensive, but I think it's really important for a guy to do that. How long did it take you to write yours? Then probably not too long because I didn't have lived, hadn't lived enough of a life to necessarily. In fact, yeah. I feel challenged now that we're talking about it to go back and revisit that that whole process because it was really powerful. But I think at that point, some of mine was a little bit of, you know, the hopes of children and the hopes of what your friends would say and the hopes of what your business associates would say about you. But they were all they're all character statements. It wasn't necessarily Kevin. I don't I don't really. I don't very rarely did anybody say at the service Reggie mentored 155 guys, but there were many of those men sitting in the, in the, in the seats that he had poured into. You didn't really have to say it. You could turn around and you could see it. You could see what mattered because of the people that were in the room. You saw what mattered when his kids stood up and spoke at his memorial service. And I think mine was probably a little, probably a little Pollyannish, I think, uh, if I were to look truly look back on it honestly, but for whatever reason, when I wrote it, it's, it spoke something to Reggie that he dragged me into that group with him, and I'm forever grateful for that. Yeah, I wrote mine tw- 22 years ago, and it's it's scary how little of it has changed. I, I, and it's funny, we actually launched a nonprofit organization called Men in the Arena. I'm writing books. All the things I wrote are coming to fruition. It's just, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's really interesting. Hey, I want to come back here after a word from our sponsor and hear more about radical mentoring. So let's just take a short break. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots-on-the-ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. All right, Kevin. Hey, uh, tell me about Radical Mentoring. You know, we're over here. You're on the East Coast. We're on the West Coast. We, I had not heard of it over here uh, as much at all until I met Reggie. Tell us about Radical Mentoring. Uh, when did it start, and where are you guys today? Yeah, so it really started um, when Reggie wrote Mentor Like Jesus, which as, as um, if you've seen the book or, or heard the book, it really just sort of outlined Reggie's mentoring process. So he wrote that in 2007. Uh, he had been mentoring at that point, started mentoring guys in 2001. Um, and it was really just sort of this idea that more time with fewer people is greater kingdom impact. Yes. I think that sort of drove uh, drove kind of the, the writing of the book and the philosophy behind it. I think Reggie would say he never intended to start a ministry. He gave um, his model to five men in the Atlanta area. Five men in the Atlanta area then launched groups on their own. He got invited from some churches in the Atlanta area. So it really started as an Atlanta-based ministry. Um, And then over time, what happened is more men from different places. Reggie wrote this blog. He's got 8,000 blog subscribers um, that kind of took some of his wisdom over the years. So it just began to sort of create a little bit of a movement. The flywheel began to turn with both independent mentors, which was really like a guy like Reggie, who just had a heart to lean in and mentor younger guys. And then pastors and others would begin to connect with us as well, because they 
knew their churches had older men with stories to tell and younger men who would love to hear those stories and glean wisdom from those guys. And they were trying to create a way to put them together. And so um, we really went from a kind of a ministry focused on one guy to uh, where we are today, which is 330-ish churches, uh, 12,000 men. We're in 43 states. Um, part of the beauty of sort of this transition with Reggie has been hearing stories of people from all around the world who have launched groups. He would hear things from a guy in South Africa and a guy in Ireland who found our material and kind of launched a group through the process. And so it's really... I think it's just filling a, a gap in, in men's lives and in churches' lives to help figure out how to get these guys more deeply engaged with each other and more intentional. So tell us a little bit more about your history and how you rose to the presidency. That, I mean, that's quite a that's quite, quite a journey there, huh? Yeah, you know, it was a long friendship. It started with a long friendship with Reggie. Um I think when he when we started talking in 2006 about or excuse me two six years ago I don't know why I said 2006 2014 ish time frame about kind of radical I think Reggie Reggie sensed a little bit of the momentum happening but he didn't really want to get his hands fully dirty in all the day to day and the relationships and so I think he saw in me a person who had experienced radical mentoring at that time as a mentee so it was in my DNA. Um, and then, so I just sort of helped build some of the framework around how do you get these churches to connect? What are you asking them to be a part of? And so a lot of the church relationships, um, began to kind of grow out of just a little more intentionality on our part to engage in, in sort of that, that church leader space. Um, and so we just grew, we went from, you know, Reggie to the, you know, three, we added about a hundred churches probably last year. Um, we'd love to grow this year and, and get us to another, add another hundred churches. So and somewhere in the mid four hundreds would be kind of a, an internal goal. Um, and then I just think my friendship with Reggie and he trusted me with this. And we had a lot of beautiful conversations over the last several months, very affirming of me and uh, my role and friendship with him. And um, I, th- I think the, the rise to presidency sounds a little more glorious than it may have actually <laughs> been, Jim. But um, I think it was sort of a, hey, well, why don't you do that? So, um, but now I've led groups. I've spoken to church leaders across the country about it. I've experienced it as a mentee. So now I sort of have, have the full perspective of, um, of what it's like to be engaged fully as a, as a mentee, a mentor, and a, and a pastor in this process. So well, that's really good, man. I appreciate that. Uh, you, in your bio, I read this, but you wrote, your primary role is to connect with independent mentors and church leaders who are passionate about creating a culture of disciple-making and to assist them in launching a mentor movement that will shape families, communities, churches around the world. So what makes Radical Mentoring unique? In other words, what is your distinctive? When I compare you to uh, some of the, you know, we, we're, a, we're a ministry of, we believe in partnerships, so we have forums, we invite other guys to post, we promote other ministries. So as we promote your ministry, what, you know, your ministry does have some distinctives. How, how is it different than, you know, like say Kenny Lux, Everyday Man, or Robert Lewis's uh, yeah. you know, Manhood of Fraternity? You know, how, how, are, how, how are you distinct from those groups? What I tell pastors and leaders that connect with us is, we don't want to replace anything that you're doing. We think that we also, you know, can engage with the church at, at, at a different level where, you know, you may have, you know, the men, tried and true men's events, whether they be game dinners or steak nights or whatever it might be where you get men to gather. And then you have a, some kind of a short term or longer term kind of ministry around either watch a video, sort of engage, go a little deeper with guys we sort of fit in that 301 bucket if the other two are 101 and 201 um, where we're asking men to commit. I mean, that was the biggest thing that Reggie, Reggie emphasized is you as the mentor are giving your time away. And so you need to make sure that the men who are going to be mentee, your mentees in this process are fully committed. They're going to be at every meeting, read every book, memorize the scripture, do the homework assignments. And so when you really press and lean into these guys and ask them to make the hurdle, make the jump um, to really be 
really intentional about your time, we would say that, you know, if, if you have any hesitation, this is not the right place to be. And so we were, we kind of hold ourselves as a, as kind of one of the more intentional steps in the disciple making process. So I think that does make us unique. The other thing I think that makes us unique is we give these resources away, um, which is a terrible business idea. Sounds like our business but, model, <laughs> but it's beautiful when you, you know, you hold it loosely and our board really strategically prayed about what, how do you get this into the hands of people? Do you charge them thirty nine ninety nine a month or whatever the, or a sub, you know, a, a marketing agreement, subscription fee kind of a deal. And the board just prayed and came back and said, you know, this is two things. This is not Reggie's ministry and we will be funded by the men and by churches who've been touched by it. And that has been, that prayer has been answered year after year and month after month that when I can tell a church leader or a pastor, look, I don't want to charge you anything for this because I fully believe that God's going to work in this process. And on the other side of it, you're going to see some men that are fully alive. Their marriages are better. Their lives are better. They're engaging more at the church. At that point, you're going to want to give back and you're giving it back, not to, to pay for what we gave you, but so that we can continue to go out and you can pay it forward to other churches in your area. So those are, those would be two distinctives. And then we really want to get our hands dirty with churches you know, we really want to guide them in the process. Myself and the gentleman on our team, a church leader creates an account and they are in a cycle where we want to get on the phone with you. We want to help you think about how this fits. And if it doesn't fit, we want to say, hey, you know what, Jim, this might not make sense for you and be OK with that. And so I just think that those are the things that I think we're doing that, you know, feel like they may be a little bit unique, although I, you know, I don't fully know all the landscape of, of all the ins and outs of all the men's ministry world, but I, I love this little corner we're playing in. And, um, it's just remarkable to begin to hear these stories that come back about men just becoming fully alive. And I think that's as, and, and seeing themselves as God sees them. And, um, it's a game, as you know, as you've experienced, it's a game changer. Oh yeah. Well, I, I think there's another distinctive there that you didn't quite mention, which I'm going to get to in a second. But <clears throat> I hear you saying that you are almost 100% crowdfunded, donor-supported. Is that true? Yeah. Based on yeah. your model? Wow. No doubt. And so how, how large is your staff, your paid staff team? We have three on staff. Um, then we have a couple, I call them contract people that help us out here in, in kind of some day-to-day -day stuff or some media and marketing stuff. Myself, we've got a guy named Jackson Beatler who does all of our media and marketing. So anything that gets pushed out into the world goes through Jackson. And then Trey Brush sort of serves as our manager of church relationships. So there are three of us that are on staff every day. You know, this is our, our full-time jobs. This is what we've committed ourselves to. Um, and so that that's that's the full team is three of us. That's really – it sounds similar to our model. We, we're going to have a third staff coming on in March – and then we contract our pub, our written resources to a man, and we, we have mm -hmm. some different people we contract out to. That's really, really interesting. So when I think of mentoring, Kevin, when I personally think of mentoring, my, my paradigm of mentoring is mentor, protege, or as Dale likes to call it, mentee. So mentor, mentee, that, that's, my, that's my paradigm. But when I think of Reggie's model, I'm not hearing that. I'm hearing... I'm hearing mentor and mentees i'm hearing small group so <clears throat> what happens you know i actually lead the men's ministry at my church as a volunteer so you know i'm also interviewing you for for a potential uh partnership here so so what <laughs> happens when i uh partner with you what happens what are these what are these uh mentor you, you probably call them something what are these radical mentoring groups look like and how do they function yeah. if i were to come and watch one in action yeah, that's great. I wish you would have told me that earlier. That was, that's what I was supposed to say. <laughs> no, um, I, I'm just, it's not even a question. I'm, I'm just winging it. You inspired yeah, a question. No, so, you know, our big, you know, Reg, if you rewound Reggie's tape, he would have been, he was a guy's guy. He was a business guy. Yeah. He had a lot of men that he would say, you know, oh, Reggie's my mentor. But Reggie would go to a Starbucks or a Waffle House, and he'd be pouring his life out to one guy. He'd go, wait, there's six other seats here around the table. I'm just not being a good steward of my time. For sure. And so what he he would say, I, I chose eight guys because I had eight seats around my dining room table. That's not very scientific. But it he is intentional. To, it's intentional. It is intentional. You got it. Yeah. 
it was, um, we're going to meet, we're going to have a commitment of meeting once a month for three hours. Now, men typically think of two things when I say that. One, they think, how can you get anything done not meeting every week? Because we've been trained in that weekly meeting model. Or you're thinking, what in the world do men talk about for three hours? There's only so much sports and weather that you can talk about that how in the world are you going to get guys to engage in that? The magic of it was you were getting the same amount of meeting time. You were just really hyper-focusing it in on one night so that guys who traveled could set their schedules and, and go ahead and know that they were going to have to be at these meetings. So there was an intentionality to the scheduling and intentionality to the, to the meeting as well. And then what would happen in between those meetings is you'd have guys read a book. You would have guys do some homework assignments. Um, they would memorize a couple scripture. They'd have a growth partner. So they would get together with another guy in the group in between the monthly sessions. And then the mentor would have a rotation. So I would see Reggie on my own either one or two times or whenever I called him and said, hey, can we get together? I got something to chat with you about. So there was a there was an element of one-on-one -on -one that happened, but it was also leveraging time and leveraging the experience of the entire group. So what happens ultimately is, yes, Reggie's the mentor, but I am also getting mentored by these other guys because we're all in different ages and phases and stages of life. And so we're all just pouring into each other. And Reggie, over time, could sit back and sort of say, hey, what do you guys think? And we would all be able to speak truth into each other's lives. And so it was about creating that safe place and leveraging time in that group environment that I do, I do think makes us unique. It's, but we do combine the elements of one-on-one -on -one mentoring and, um, and kind of the, the group experience. Okay, so let me let me clarify because my wife will tell me yeah. that I I heard her, but did I listen to her? So let me let me Correct. see if I've listened to you. So uh, radical mentoring groups meet monthly as a group. Men are paired up with a growth partner, and those guys meet weekly, and the the mentees meet on a weekly rotation with the leader of the group. So if there's eight of you, that means you're meeting almost, every, you almost heard me. You almost. Okay. Heard me. Okay. Help me out. Yeah. That's why I re, that's why I want yeah. you to repeat it. So yeah. we get so this. Think about you got, you got the big rocks of the monthly meetings. Gotcha. It's 12 of those so a year. Leave, yeah. I'll give, I'll give a real live example. My group just met, um, uh, last weekend. They're leaving there. They're, they're reading the book, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. Yep, read it, own it. So they know they've got to finish that book. They've got the homework assignments. They need to write their wives a love note and leave it in a place where she will find it when they're not around. Very practical. They're going to memorize two scripture. They're going to do start a gratitude journal that will sort of be an ongoing thing we're going to do throughout our time together. Our next meeting is on February the 24th. So I'm going to take Jim, I'm going to use your name, and I'm going to say for these in-between sessions, I want Jim and Dale to get together. Next month, I'll rotate. So you're going to get some time with all the different guys in the group. So you're going to get some one-on-one -on -one time. You may get together with me as the mentor in between those sessions, although I can't do that every month and see everybody. So I've got to create a rhythm of that. But you're going to have two one-on-one -on -one meetings, potentially up to two one-on-one -on -one meetings in between those sessions with definitely with a growth partner, possibly with your mentor, but you're also going to be doing your other assignments. Clear as mud, right? Yeah, that is. So is this stuff... Is this stuff in Reggie's book, Mentoring Like Christ, or is this written in a different book? Yeah, so let me tell you the best way to engage with us. Mentor Like Jesus gives you the big picture framework of the process. Um, the way people get to know us and see all this is they would go to our website, RadicalMentoring.com. They would create an account, which is free, and we don't, you know, we're not selling your, uh, selling your information to anybody. And what we do is each, we have tracks laid out. So we have a nine month track and a 12 month track. Each one of those tracks has topics and conversation guides and the homework assignments already written out, the scripture verses picked out for memory, 
so that under each month, we have all the resources there for you so that you can then know what's going to happen. You know, in, in between these meetings, we're going to set you up for success so that you sort of know the path that you're on. If you wanted to do something different, we've got a custom track you can do and you can pick out one of 24 different topics and build your own, kind of create your own. We have a track for singles and we have a track for women. So we kind of house everything on the website. And then once you connect with us, then we, you'll start to hear from myself or Trey and we'll start to harass you into conversations so that we can guide you in the process. So you don't feel like you're, you know, on an Island with all these resources around you and you don't know what to do with it. So you're not, solely a men's ministry. That's correct. I did not know that. So this is for men and women. The women ministry is really new and and it's not fully flushed out yet. But what we began to hear is all these great things are happening with my husband's. Why can't you do something for a man? We hear that all the time. For our women. (laughs) And so we, we put a track together that will feel like ours. Um, so there is a place where women can go and, and find a track that would make sense for them. I just had two women from my church approach me and said, we want to have the great hunt for God. We're women, what do we do? I think I'm going to push them towards your ministry because I, yeah. I didn't have another model to push them to. And they didn't want a Beth Moore type of thing. They wanted something like our men in the arena groups and our men in the arena groups are very similar to what you're talking about. So, yeah, so here, here's my next question. How long does a radical mentoring group last? Now, forgive me for calling it a group. What should I call it? Fellowship group gathering? Sign. Okay, I, yeah, I, everybody's group, got their own word. For me. I hate calling it a group because it's it's not a small group. It's different. But So how long does a radical mentoring group last? You know, What's its lifespan before yeah. it moves on to the next phase, which I'm going to ask you about next? Yeah. Um, typical groups will last either nine months or 12 months. So a, a church months, year, a school year, or a, a calendar year? You got it. And at that point, you know, the mentor has poured into these men. He's probably started to repeat himself a little bit. And so at that point, the mentor is, I mean, this is kind of Reggie. He would go from one group and he'd move on to the next one. You have another group of, of eight guys coming in behind it. And so their formality of that one group ends now. And then the mentor moves on and the, the guys either – at that point, some will go on to mentor their own groups. Some will be better, you know, small group leaders or other things where the church needs them to plug in and, and add some value. So, the f- formal group is neither nine is either nine or twelve months. So it sounds like, from what you had said about Reggie uh, having a hundred and mentoring one hundred and fifty five men, right? One hundred fifty five. Yeah. So it sounds like he had a real a real sustainability model, and it, and then. With your growth pairs, did I call that right? The growth pairs? Growth partners, yeah. Growth partners. So is your sustainability model based on the growth partners starting new groups? Or is it something? Yeah, that's where the multiplication happens. I mean, I think, in fact, I was just looking at it today. Of the 155 guys that Reggie mentored, 30% of them have mentored their own groups. So there's still some of these guys that haven't. Some may never mentor a group. Uh, we see that, yes. We see that same yeah, phenomenon. Yeah. Sometimes these guys will discover that they maybe they want to be a table leader at an environment. They're more comfortable just facilitating a small group, lower commitment. Maybe they want to go do something leading with the youth that they find a passion or a heart for that. Or maybe they're just going to go home and be a whole lot better husbands and fathers than they've been, they've been in the past. For sure. That may be the extent of it. No, that's that's really good, man. I, I I really have a strong grasp of what you're doing. I really appreciate that, and it's all found at radicalmentoring.com. Com. Okay, and it's all right there, free for guys to get a hold of. Well, that's a that's it. really a we we offer our resources free for active military missionaries and men in underdeveloped nations, but you're a little bit further ahead of us, man. You just offer them free. Period. We're Punctuate the period. Yeah, we're either further ahead or you're smarter than we are. We'll, well, well here's I think this is what people don't understand about nonprofit organizations. We we take great joy in building an army. It's about the army. It's no about doubt. the change lives. And I, I personally struggle with some of these guys. Their nonprofits are named after them, or their nonprofits are really ba- made to make a lot of money off their resources. I wrestle with that. And right. we, we've built a, a program that we want to be at least 85 to 90% crowdfunded. 
it's strategic, yeah. it's intentional, and it's on purpose. No and so, man, I I should yeah. appreciate this time together, Kevin, to eulogize uh, Reggie to uh, promote your ministry. Is there anything you'd like to add about Reggie Campbell's life and uh, the man he was for our listeners? I'll tell you one final story. This is classic <laughs> Reggie. At the end of his memorial service, they played a video that Reggie made for his own memorial service. Of course. That no nobody in the room had seen yet, including his family. And the whole purpose of that video was pictures of Reggie with people in that room. Wow. And it was just a basically a great big thank you and a great big see you later. I'll see you on the other side. Don't worry about me. I'm uh, I'm in a better place than you guys are. And um, I love you. And it was just incredibly powerful and classic Reggie that he would create his own video to be played at his own memorial service that nobody else had seen until the play button. I I feel a little ripped off that I just met Reggie in November, but uh, we are continuing to push his book, What Radical Husbands Do, out there. Uh, we're pushing that book because that's the only one of his I've read, and I uh, really do appreciate your ministry, and uh, the, the free resources really speaks to the heart of Reggie, the heart of the ministry, and Kevin, uh, to the heart of you, because now you're the guy no who's living out and fulfilling the legacy that Reggie created. So, man, I sure appreciate you coming on our show and being so willing to talk about Reggie. A lot of guys yeah. want to talk, you know, a lot of guys we, we come on, we want to talk about them and their resources, but that you've really been Christ to this show in, 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 in sacrificing uh, your personal gain to really promote uh, his life and, and uh, bless others that way. So I really do appreciate it. We are kindred spirits in this. And as I tell folks, you know, we're all pushing men to the same place. And I don't care whether they get there through men in the arena or radical mentoring. If men are becoming fully alive and their families are changing and their communities are changing and the church is changing, then we're all winning. Well, so I remember I, in basketball, I, love, I, went, I, love the chance. I went to the, to the, to the doctor in high school because I had a playing basketball and I went to, I, I had a teammate had the basketball and he swung it around and hit me in the chin, and my tooth went through my lip anyway. And it was like I got injured by a guy in the same team. And what yeah. what, what bothers me about uh, men's ministries is sometimes I see guys who don't realize we're on the same team. Right. And if if radical mentoring wins, men in the arena wins. If every every man ministries wins, rad, uh, radical mentoring wins, men in the arena wins, promise keepers wins, uh, men in the mirror wins. And it's been really so fun to interact with these guys because as yeah. these guys see what we're doing, they're like, we want to partner. And that's really where the kingdom momentum gets going. So it's not our 20,000 guys that we're reaching or whatever. It's it's ours plus yours plus theirs plus theirs plus theirs because the mission field is uh, huge. And Jesus taught us to pray for the workers of the harvest because the fields are ripe but the workers are few. And so we need the workers, man. So thank you so much. You hey, it. hey, guys, You're before so we welcome. end, how are we going to handle this interview with Kevin, man? I mean, what are you, what are we going to ask you to do? Because we want you to get your boots on the ground. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to carve out a half an hour and I want you to go alone. And I want you to think about your final day on this planet. And I want you to be intentional using a Reggie's word about this. I want you to write a 500 word obituary about your life. How are you going to die? How will you be remembered by your wife and your kids? What will you accomplish? What will you leave behind that is going to cross over into eternity? And so I want you to do that. Uh, you will That will be a treasured piece of artwork that you will never put away or throw away. And uh, you will be greatly, greatly um, satisfied that you did it. So until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Write your obituary. Grind it out and be a man. Men in the Arena is a non-profit, crowd-funded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org. 
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.